Welcome to Victory Church Podcast. At Victory, we are committed to connecting people to God, His church and their purpose. For more information, visit victorychurch.net.au. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. Effectively, it's going to be a series whereby we will be looking at the most misused verses in the Bible. You see, without a proper context, we can make the Bible say anything we want. I was taught as a young man growing up that a text without a context is nothing more than a pretext. And so in this series, we're going to look at some, not all, but some very well used verses that have been used out of context. And so we want to bring some understanding and meaning to those verses. And the first verse we're going to be looking at today is found in John chapter 14. And we're going to read from verse 13 to 14. And it says, And I will do, this is Jesus speaking, we know that because it's written in red. I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. Many people have quoted this portion of Scripture uh, in order to get the job they always wanted, in order to get the promotion that they always wanted, in order to get the guy or the girl that they always wanted, in order to win the lottery. Give me the numbers, Lord. After all, you said, ask anything. All I want is six little numbers. Anything. Wouldn't that be good? I remember many years ago when we first started our church, church was very young and very early days. We had a young man that I had the privilege of marrying. And uh, I married him and his wife, just clarify that. And (laughs) had the privilege of marrying them, husband and wife. I was officiating in the marriage, got it? Yeah. And great day. But seven months later, he passed away and I had to do his funeral. The first funeral I ever did and the first wedding that I ever performed or officiated in had the same gentleman in it. And it was in and around the time where that movie, Four Weddings and a Funeral, came out. But what you need to know about our church at that time, I hadn't done four weddings and a funeral, but I had done four funerals and a wedding. It was a crazy start to our church. Four people in my early days had passed away and I found myself officiating at four different funeral services. And we prayed very much for healing and wholeness and breakthrough to be their portion. But we buried them. Back in 2002, a good friend of ours, Maria O'Callaghan, had an incredible husband by the name of Dennis. And he passed away. After much asking and much praying, he went to be with the Lord. At the beginning of this year, many of you know the story, we lost an incredible gift to this church. My recent sickness... All these things that we've experienced over the years 
are certainly not things I asked for. Are certainly not things I said, bring it on, Lord. In actual fact, in every case, we've been asking for something completely the opposite of what has actually happened. And if we don't have a good understanding of Scripture, we must conclude one of two things. Either God is a liar. God, you said, ask anything. Well, we asked that this person would not die. We asked this person would be healed. We asked that this would not take place and it did. So you're a liar. Or there's something that we are not fully understanding and that we are actually missing out on. And that's what I want to look at through this particular series. And so when it comes to understanding Scripture, I want you to remember three things. The first one is simply this, that we need to know and understand the context. It is our responsibilities, uh, responsibility as seekers of truth to grab the context of that which we are reading. What is the context? It has to do with things like who wrote the particular part of the Bible that you're reading? To whom was the letter written to? It's about understanding the major theme of the particular letter. And what was God trying to say through the particular author to the people at that time? All these things are really important if we are to understand the context. So the first thing I want us to do as a church is to grow and understand the importance of knowing and understanding context of Scripture. The second thing is that we need to interpret Scripture with other Scriptures. See, the best way to understand the Bible is with the Bible itself. In other words, what do other verses say about the verse that I'm reading? And the third thing we need to know is that we need to apply that which we have learned. In other words, the Bible is not necessarily just a book to be studied. Rather, it's a letter from God to be lived. God fully expects us not just to read the Word, but to understand it and ultimately apply it to our lives. Everything Jesus taught the disciples, He expected application to follow. And He expects that of us today. With this in mind, or with these three things in mind, let's look at the context of the original Scripture we read in John 14, verse 13 to 14. Question, who wrote the book of John? This is not a trick question. The author of the book of John is John himself. John wrote the book of John. And the main theme of John chapter 14 is not prayer. Ask and you shall receive. It's not prayer. That's not the major theme of John 14. The major theme of John 14 is Jesus wanting to prepare us for our future. And that's why He said, do not be afraid. Homework today is to go home and read the whole chapter, John chapter 14. And you'll see that in that chapter, he says, do not be afraid. Be at peace. I'm going away to prepare a place for you. It's a place with many rooms. He says, I am the way, the truth and the life. He says, when I go away, I'm going to send the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, and He's going to lead you into all truth. It's all about preparation for our future. That's the context of John chapter 14. But then we have to place 
John chapter 14 in the book that it was written. And what's the major theme of the book of John? The major theme of the book of John is to prove that Jesus was, in fact, the Son of God. And that's why John chapter chapter 1, verse 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And in John chapter uh, 1, verse 14, it says that the Word became flesh, speaking of the time Jesus came as a human being to planet Earth. And the theme of the book of John is proving that Jesus was, in fact, the Son of God. In other words, God is always the major theme or the main character of the Bible. Here's a revelation for you. You are not the major theme of the Bible. If you read the Bible and put yourself as the major theme of the Bible, you will always twist what the Scripture is saying. But it will find its context when we understand that God Himself is the major theme of every word and every sentence and every paragraph and every chapter and every book in the Bible. God Himself is the major theme, not us. In John 14, verse 13, again, it says, I will do whatever you ask in my name so that. We need to take seriously what comes after so that. Because that's highlighting what is more important than what is just written. So that the Father may be glorified in the Son. In other words, the goal to prayer is not to get what you want. The goal to prayer is to see the Father glorified. The purpose of prayer is to see the Father glorified, not for you to have your wish list fulfilled. It's very clear in Scripture. We pray so that the Father Himself may be glorified in our life. Not that you may have more money. Not that you may have a newer house or a nicer car or that you may get the promotion, the guy or the girl or win the lottery. That's not the purpose of prayer. The purpose of prayer is found in seeing God the Father glorified in and through our life. I'm preaching far better, way better than you are responding this morning. I say it again. The purpose of prayer is to see not our wish list fulfilled, but the Father Himself glorified. Amen. When we see God as the main character, it changes the way we pray. When we place ourselves as the main character, it's reflected in our prayers. And when we put God as the main character, it reflects in the way that we pray. Here's the reason this is so important. I believe the number one reason people fall away from God is because they never had a true understanding of what God said in the first place. And that's why it's important that we understand the heart of God through the Word of God and the context thereof. When God doesn't do what we expect Him to do, we conclude that He's not real. We conclude that He doesn't care. And we conclude that He's not good. You think about it. Any unanswered prayer with the understanding that you said you would do what I ask, you haven't done it, it means He's either not true, it's not real, it doesn't care, or He's not good. You have to conclude that or maybe we haven't fully understood the word 
in the first place. So with this in mind as my introduction, what does God care about when we pray? And when we interpret Scripture with Scripture, we come up with four things that are really important to God when we pray. And the first one is this, that your relationships matter. Your relationships matter. Mark chapter 11, verse 24, verse 25 says this, Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you've received it and it will be yours. Now, if that was the only verse in all of the Scriptures, that would be great. But there's another verse that comes straight after that. After verse 24 comes verse 25. Write that down. It says, And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that your Father in heaven may forgive you. In other words, the Scriptures are telling us that we need to deal with our relationships before we pray. And, and any parent in this room knows this to be true. When little Johnny is, is pinching and punching and kicking little Jane and being a right little pain in the backside, and then he comes in and says, oh, can I have a friend sleep over tonight? As a parent, you are not going to be happy with this arrangement because of the discontentment between sister and brother. There's no way little Johnny's going to have a friend sleeping over while there's disrest and disunity amongst family members. As a parent, you know that you need to sort that out. And one thing I thank God for growing up in a home was that my dad made us boys sort our stuff out. I'm one of three boys. I'm the middle child, the middle overlooked, neglected Middle child. Is there any middle children out there who I feel your pain? I see, that, I see that hand. I see that in the balcony. I see your hand. I see your hand. I feel your pain. And when you've got three boys that are, you know, two years apart, it's inevitable that boys will be boys. It's inevitable that brothers and sisters will have arguments and fight. That, that's not the problem. That's inevitable. It's human nature. But what's not inevitable is sorting it out. That's a choice. Having a fight, that just happens. But sorting it out is a choice. And I'll be forever grateful for Dad making us sort it out. And for us to sort it out, it had to be before the day's end, which was in keeping with Scripture, do not let the sun go down on your anger. And it had to have a few words, meaningful words, in the making up process. We had to look at each other and say sorry and ask for forgiveness because that's the gospel. Asking for forgiveness is the first step in receiving Christ. So it's a sorry, will you forgive me? And then it's a reconciliation. I love you and we have to hug and make up. That's what we had to do. And I'm so grateful for that upbringing because my dad understood something, that if you want your prayers to be acknowledged, it's really important that we learn at an early age to sort out our grievances, our disagreements, that we keep our relationships intact. So this notion that you can just be arguing, complaining, 
let me, let me say it this way. How many of you have ever been on a long road trip and you've got three or four in the back seat and they're pinching and kicking and arguing and screaming. Like, what are you doing here? What's going on? Oh, he's pulling my hair. Ah, oh, they're not doing that. They're doing this. I don't like that. Ah, oh, stop kicking. Stop he's on my side. No, he's on my side. He touched me. He touched me. Stop touching me. Stop touching me. Ow, oh, ow, oh, that hurt. <laughs> Have you ever been on one of those road trips? You, you can feel the tension just in the room, right? And it's like, oh. And, and, and I used to say to my kids what my dad said to me when I was a kid. If you don't be quiet, I'll stop the car and bang your heads together. <laughs> and, and, and it's like, it's like from God's perspective, we're saying we want world peace. But, you know, it's no different than the kids in the back seat where one nation fights another nation and they bomb me, so I'm going to bomb them and then I'm going to bomb them more and then I'm going to shoot them and I'm going to kill them and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And it's like, whoa! Relationships matter. If you want your prayers to be heard and taken seriously, you can't live with bitterness and unforgiveness. It doesn't work like that. Let me go even one step further and talk to all the husbands in the place. Now, I need you wives there to work with me. Do not look at your husband right now. <laughs> look straight ahead at me. And do not nudge him either, okay? But 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7 says this, Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives. Treat her with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. There's that word again, so that. The context is that your prayers will not be hindered. In other words, I can't be a jerk to my wife and expect God to take my prayers seriously. Again, wives, look at me. Do not look at your husbands. Now, I realise when it comes to relationships, you're not responsible for the other party. And that's why the Bible says, again, Scripture with Scripture, it says as much as it's up to you, live at peace with everyone. The issue is, is your heart clean? Or are you wishing all sorts of bad things would happen to certain people? Do you lose sleep because there's an unease and an unrest? That's what God wants you to deal with. Sometimes the relationships can't be put back together again because the other party is not willing or people have moved on. But as much as it's up to you, we need to be able to live at peace with people. We need to be able to say before God, someone may have done me wrong, but I'm not living in the pain or the bitterness or the resentment of that which has happened to me. Because relationships matter. Who would like their prayers being answered? Then let's take seriously our relationships. Secondly, your motives matter. James chapter 4 verse 3 says, When you ask, you do not receive. Why? It's telling us. Because you ask with wrong motives. 
that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. See, Jesus rebuked the Pharisees many times for many different things. On one occasion, he rebuked the Pharisees because they they prayed loud, proud prayers. Their prayers were long and they were loud. Now, you know what? Jesus is not against long and loud prayers. Some people might say, yeah, we could keep our prayers short. No, no, that's not, that's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is not necessarily addressing what they are doing, but why they are doing what they are doing. That's how you establish someone's motive, why they are doing what they are doing. And the reason the disciples, uh, sorry, Jesus rebuked the Pharisees is because of why they were doing what they were doing, not what they were doing alone. And the reason the Pharisees prayed loud, long prayers was not to be heard by God, but to be seen by man. And because their motive was wrong, Jesus rebuked them. He says, you're only praying these long, loud prayers so that people can see you and notice you and think highly of you. Your motive is wrong. If we want our prayers to be answered, we have to make sure our motive is right because motive matters to God. Let me explain it this way. Many years ago when we were away in summer holidays camping with some friends, uh, we did what most people do in those times. You play cricket. And uh, Mitzi was much younger then, as was his good friend JJ. I think he was about five. JJ was about six. And uh, JJ was in bat. JJ was either batting or not playing. He's one of those kids. Anyway, just saying. Just saying. Anyway, that's an aside. Maybe that's an agenda. Maybe I just to deal with my mojo. I don't know. Anyway, so JJ's batting. And Mitchy, um, if he can't bat, he wants to be in the action. And so he's fielding, not at silly mid-on, which is a position that's very close to the batsman in a fielding position. That's silly mid-on. He wasn't fielding there. He wasn't even fielding at silly, silly mid-on. He was fielding at silly, silly, absolutely ridiculous mid-on. Because that's where the action is. Right within swinging distance of JJ. The ball is bowled. JJ swings and invariably hits Mitch straight in the head. Mitch, falls to the ground, writhing on the ground. There's tears, there's screams. JJ's, you know, horrified. What do you think we did at, we did at that moment as parents? We tended to Mitch and we consoled JJ. Because his motive was not to hit Mitch in the head with a cricket bat, which is a bit different if you pick up a cricket bat (laughs) in a moment of rage and hit someone over the head. Can you see they are both, they are different, but they're both the same. Both people hit somebody in the head with a cricket bat. Surely the results are the same. No, because motive matters. And when we pray, motive matters. If you pray for a promotion just to get money for yourself, that will ultimately lead you to a place where you're no longer red hot for Jesus. Wrong motive. 
But if you're praying for a promotion that you can be more generous than you already are and just have more to give, different motive. But here's the kicker. And the kicker is found in Proverbs 16, verse 2. It says, all a person's ways seem pure to him. See, we always think our motive's pure. But it says, but motives are weighed by the Lord. And that's why we need to go to God on a daily basis and pray the prayer that David prayed in Psalms where he said, search my heart, O God. Because you know my heart. You know my motives better than anybody. I can always kid myself why I did that. I can always justify anything I do and so can you. We're quick with our responses when it comes to getting us out of something. But that's what's got the world in the mess that it's in. Our responsibility is go to God and say, search my heart, O God. See if there's any offensive way in me. If there's any impure thoughts, impure motives that I'm having, reveal it to me. Because unless you reveal it to me, Lord, I will never ever see it. I will only ever see what I do as good and what others do as bad. That's the way we're wired. Me good, you bad. Me right, you wrong. How many of you as parents have had your kids come to you and say, Dad, you need to know, I'm in the wrong. Don't punish little Johnny. It was me. That would be too easy. Imagine being a parent. That would be awesome. But no. You have to wade through all the discussion and the talking and the he said and she said. Motives matter to God. Number three, your faith matters. James chapter 1 verse 6 says, When you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave in the sea, tossed and blown by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Faith matters to God. Your faith moves the heart of God. Without faith, the Bible says, it's impossible to please God. In Matthew chapter 9 verse 29, it says that Jesus touched their eyes. This was the two blind men. And it says, according to your faith, let it be done unto you. And they could see. Faith matters to God. Faith in its purest, simplest form is simply a trust. Faith in its purest, simple form is simply believing. The highest compliment you can give somebody is to say, I believe you. You think that you can give someone money, houses, cars, uh, you can do all that. But to actually say, I actually, you know what? I believe you. That's the highest compliment you can give anyone. That I trust you. And because I trust you, I believe you. And the reason faith matters to God is because it's us saying, God, we trust you. You're a God of integrity. You're a God of your word. I believe you. And when we say, I believe you, it's the highest compliment we can give to anyone. And that includes God. And so faith matters. And so concluding off these three things, we can assume that if our relationships are good, our motives are pure, and we have faith, then God has to do what we ask. Which is to still slip into error. We can still slip into the prosperity gospel of those three notions. The prosperity gospel is the name it and claim it gospel. It's the blab it and grab it. It's the see it and be it gospel. But God is not a genie in a bottle. 
that we just pull out and rub every so often, uh, get God out to answer our prayer. That, God is not that God. Which brings me to my fourth point, And that is this, that God's will matters. See, the author of John also wrote 1 John. He actually wrote 2 John and 3 John. But in 1 John chapter 5, verse 14, he said, This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. See, we can't ask anything we want and demand that He does it. That makes us God, not Him. That makes our prayers according to our will and not God's will. And so when we go back to our original text found in John chapter 14, verse 13 and 14, we see Jesus saying, ask anything in my name. See, we must ask according to God's will. Otherwise, we'll discredit the name of Jesus. Let me explain it this way. As a senior pastor in relationship with other senior pastors of other churches, over many years, it has given me certain privileges into their world. And so invariably when I go to conferences or their church, they will let me in a little a special room that they've put aside for their friends just to hang before the service starts. Different names for those rooms. But as I've done that, I've usually taken people with me. And more recently, I went into one of those little rooms and the person who was coming with me came a little bit later and I was already in that room and, and uh, as they came a little bit later, that they let the man on the front door know that they were with Tony Rainbow. And by virtue of using my name, they gained access into that room and the relationship that I'd formed over many years. My name gave them access. My name gave them an access, not just to the room, but to my friendship circle. It gave them an privilege and a responsibility that they didn't have in their own right, nor did they earn in their own strength. See, when you go before God, you have access to Him because Jesus gave you permission. The Bible says that we can access the throne room of grace and enter the presence of God through the name of Jesus. It's because we know Jesus that we have access into the presence of the Father. Because of what Jesus did, you have access to speak to God that you had no right to before. Prayer is not a key to unlocking what you want when you want it. It's an access to honour the Father. God is not our servant. We serve Him. Again, if your child came to you and just demanded something from you, 
And every time they demanded something from you, they expected to get it because they were your son or daughter. That would make them the master, not you. If you had to give your son or daughter everything they asked just because they asked it, you would no longer be in control. You would no longer be the boss. You would no longer be the parent. You would no longer be in control. And if we think that we can go to God and twist his arm because he has to do something based upon a few of our favourite scriptures, we're sadly mistaken. See, prayer is not to get my wish list filled. It's an avenue through which we get to know God and to give him glory. I pray that we don't get necessarily what we want. But as a growing, maturing church, we would submit our wills to what he wants. Thank you for taking the time to listen. If you have any questions, please email us at admin at victorychurch.net.au. 